you know, first service I came on too late. This time I came on too early, you know. Uh, hey, I, I'm, I feel like I'm already on a roll this long weekend. Yesterday, my wife and I, we went to Ikea. We didn't fight. We didn't lose our six-year-old in the maze. And I didn't come home with a trunk full of like 10 different furniture items that I have to build this weekend. So I'm on a roll. We're going to try and keep that momentum going with a special message I have for you this morning that I'm calling First Things First. And I think this is a message that will be both helpful and practical to you. Um, it has the potential to improve the areas of your life that matter the most or to actually change the areas of your life that matter the most. And it starts with a question. What is most important to you? Do you know? Do you, do you have it written down somewhere? Do you know what is most important to you? And it seems like a simple question. It seems, you know, there's probably some answers already that are popping into your head, some things that seem obvious, but I think it's also the type of question that we shouldn't just make a, assumptions about. Mm -hmm. That in fact, it's the type of question we ought to contemplate more thoroughly and revisit more regularly. Uh, consider Ephesians 5 here, which says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. But how are we to make the most of every opportunity if we don't know what the target is? I think there are a few more reasons we also might want to consider this question of what's most important to us. Firstly, our, our days are numbered. I mean, we only have so long on this earth where we even get to decide what is most important to us. Right. Psalm 9012 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Or put differently, when we value the resource of time, we learn to spend it more wisely. Another reason What's most important to you, the things that are a priority, they change over time. I mean, it's different from when you're 20 to 30 to 40 to 70. And I mean, even in my own life, when I was younger, my top priorities, if you asked, probably would have been food, friends, and fun. <laughs> and now, I mean, I'm a little bit older, I'm married, got kids, and it's probably more like faith and family. However, I do still love a good chicken shawarma. Can I get an amen? All right. <laughs> I've also noticed a tension. There's a tension that exists between what we wish to be important to us and what is actually important to us. And frankly, we're not always the best judge ourselves. Right. And lastly, we need to get this right because getting it wrong has consequences, not just for us, but also the people around us that we might be responsible to or for who you know, might, we might think uh, or, or hope are a priority, but when asked, would say they feel like a distant second. So if it's a worthwhile question, and we're not the best judges, how do we get a more honest and clear perspective on what is most important to us? Or maybe to ask it differently, how would someone else be able to tell what is most important to you? Well, they might start by looking at your phone. I mean, your phones say a lot about you. They're with us virtually all the time. They're essentially a digital version of you. And frankly, having an Android tells me about everything I need to know about you. 
No, shots fired. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I'm just, it's just jokes. Don't email me, okay? But if someone wanted to see what's most important to you, they may start looking through your phone and at your messages. I mean, wouldn't that tell them? It would tell them who you talk to, maybe who's most important to you, what you talk about. You probably have messages to and from your significant other or your friends or your parents. I mean, some of the most important people and possibly the most important conversations that you have would be in your messages. But you also probably have messages to and from your boss or your extended family member that you talk to like once or twice a year, mostly out of guilt or just straight up spam. I mean, tell us messages me all the time trying to sell me something. So maybe messages isn't the best place for them to look. What about your photos? I mean, after all, if you take a, a picture of something, it's probably important to you, right? You, and you probably have pictures from uh, a wedding you went to or, or your kids or a vacation last year. But you probably also don't have to scroll too far to find pic- a bunch of pictures that aren't that important. I mean, if you went through my camera roll, it wouldn't be very far until you see about 30 receipts that I have to keep or screenshots that I just haven't bothered to go back and delete. What about social media? I mean, after all, now we're talking not just about all your photos, but like the photos, the ones that are good enough to make it on your feed. And if someone looked through your social media, they'd also see who you follow, what kind of content you might be into. But again, I I don't think that just because you post about something that necessarily means it's getting the time and the attention that it, that it deserves. And again, it might not be the best judge because if you look through my feed, it would probably suggest to you that I love cooking. I don't really love cooking, but I do have a habit of scrolling while hungry. (laughs) And then there's maybe your banking app. I mean, that might reveal a lot about where you spend and give your money and what's a priority for you. But the good news, that's a message for a different day. (laughs) So I'll cut you a break on that one. Then there's the reminders. I mean, if if something's important to you, it makes sense to put it on your to-do list. You can even mark things off or or, um, categorize them as important. You can flag them, you can add due dates. But if I'm really honest, and this hurts me to say it, if I'm honest as a type A list-oriented kind of guy, my to-do list isn't an accurate representation of uh, of what is actually important to me it can really only tell you what I want to be important to, you, to me. I mean, I've, th- I've had plenty of lists that started off with a ha- only a handful of things that quickly grew to be more than I could manage, let alone do. And when everything is a priority, nothing is really a priority. And that brings us to the one tool that I believe not only indicates, but actually defines what is truly most important to you. And that's the calendar. The calendar is how we manage our most important resource, our time. It not only tells me where you've been, but it tells me where you're going. And I would argue the calendar is the number one tool you can use to achieve a life of meaning. Why? Because how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Not to hate on social media too hard, but it is a pretty great example of this principle. So how much time would you guess most Canadians across all ages spend per day on social media? If you got an answer, shout it out. I'm okay with, I'm okay with that. What do you think? Hour, 30 minutes? Pretty close. Two hours and five minutes. And hey, depending on where you are on that bell curve or in that survey, that might sound like a pretty big number. It might sound about right. Or you might know you spend way more time than that and you're boosting everyone's average. (laughs) But if you expand that average over the average lifespan, it's nearly seven years on Facebook and Instagram and the like. 
We live with this struggle between saying yes, where saying yes to one thing also means saying no to something else at the same time. And if we neglect our relationships and our faith in the days and the weeks and the months, then pretty soon we live an entire life that's spent on the urgent and the mundane and not on the meaningful. Do you guys ever have those stories or jokes, maybe even song lyrics that just kind of like get implanted in your brain and you probably reference them all the time and you know, you just can't forget them. I have one of those, except it's not a story or joke or lyric. It's actually a TV commercial. And maybe even more oddly, it's a TV commercial I saw probably about five years ago that was put out by the Department of Tourism for the state of Idaho. Stick stick with me, okay? They made this commercial. It's about three minutes long, so I, I I didn't really have the time to show it here today, or I would. I encourage you, if you're a parent and you want to cry today, go watch it. Um, But if crying a good way. Um, Anyway, there's this commercial and there's this young family, two parents, they got three kids. They're about ages like five to eight years old. And they're having a blast in Idaho. It's summertime. They got video of the kids jumping off the dock and splashing in the water. And then they interview the family and they're talking about how awesome it is to set this si- set this time aside to have vacation together to make memories and then there's even more video in the background of them swimming and hiking and all types of these great summer activities and then the video comes to a close on this final title screen which just says one thing and this is the thing that stuck with me it just says 18 summers And the whole point of the video is that despite how much time we might think we have, we only have about 18 summers with our kids before they're likely to move out, go to school, or to pursue a family of their own. And frankly, I don't remember exactly when I first saw this video. I might not have even had my first child at the time, but it stuck with me to this day as a reminder to not take the days or the summers for granted because they very quickly turn into years. So my goal today is to give you a plan to take control of your life by taking control of your calendar so you can pursue what's most meaningful to help you move from wishing certain things were a priority to actually implementing them. Stephen Covey said it like this. The key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Then how do we choose what to prioritize? Am I even focusing on the right things or are there other things that I might be forgetting about or not doing that would actually make a huge difference? Well, I think we can look to the Bible and more specifically to the person of Jesus for the answer. And it's also my belief that what was a priority for Jesus should be a priority for us. Jesus didn't come to just teach and tell us what's most important. He actually lived it out. He didn't just give us answers. He gave us a model and he gave us an example that we can follow. I Just personally, I'll share with you some of the most productive periods of my life have been when I've not just listened to the words of Jesus, but I've actually put them into practice and lived out the same rhythms and the habits that he did. And I believe that scripture describes six things, six patterns or six routines that Jesus had in his own life that we could use to help, uh, help us, you know, pursue a life of meaning, a life that gives more peace and more purpose. And the best thing is that they're all things that you and I can do too. So what are these six things that were on Jesus calendar that should probably be on ours too? Well, first off, Jesus calendar included worship. 
And usually when you hear the word worship, the first thing that comes to mind is probably music. And while music is certainly one example of it, there are a number of ways that we can express worship. So let's start with a quick definition. Worship is the practice of expressing praise, thanksgiving, or adoration to God. Jesus took the time to worship, and so should we. He went to local synagogues where they would sing songs of praise. He gave reverence and thanksgiving to the father throughout prayer, all throughout scripture. And just in case you don't believe me, Mark 14 shows Jesus doing both of these things. I'm going to actually all six of these. I'm going to prove to you in scripture, just so in case you don't believe me. But this one is the last supper. Jesus is sitting down with his uh, 12 closest disciples. And in verse 23, it says he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it's poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So in the span of three verses, we see Jesus praying, giving thanks and worshiping through song. So let me ask you, if even Jesus worshiped, are you? Actually, like, like I said at the beginning, I want to make this super practical, not, not just so you hear my words, but so you actually put it into practice and experience some of the blessings that I have when I did too. So put on your steel toes because I'm about to step on them. But our, our Sunday church services on your calendar. I'm asking because although there are many ways that you could worship, this is one of the most practical and consistent ways that you can do it. Um, and make it really a consistent part of your life. So are Sunday services a must or a maybe for you and your family? If it is on your calendar, is it set as weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly? And if I open your calendar and flip to Sunday, is worship on your calendar or just dance preaching? Now, okay, don't get me wrong. We do want you to come here on Sundays to also learn and grow in your faith, but that's not the only reason. This isn't just for you and it's not just for me. It's also for God. And let me tell you, the best way that you can get something from this service is to also give something in the service. Number two on Jesus calendar, embarrassing Pharisees. No, I'm kidding. Number two is prayer. Jesus calendar included prayer. Has it ever occurred to you or maybe even struck you as kind of odd the way it does me that even Jesus, son of man, God in the flesh prayed but he did. I mean, here's two short examples just to prove it. Luke 6, 12, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. And then in 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. He did this often. He prayed in the wilderness. He taught his disciples to pray. He prayed in the garden. He even prayed on the cross. Jesus kept a very, very open line of communication between himself and the father. And again, if even Jesus felt the need to give thanks and to pray for himself and for his disciples and to intercede for others, shouldn't we do the same? So here's my top tips, real practical, how you can incorporate prayer and make it a more intentional part of your day and your week. So first off, we have to make the time to pray. You can certainly set aside some time in the morning or at night to pray. I mean, literally mark it on your calendar. But another way, and maybe even an easier way, if this is new for you, is to start out uh, and to not just make the time, but to find the time. And what I mean by this is look for pockets of time that are already in your day, already on your calendar that you can use for prayer. Um, 
in my own life, I'll tell you one of the strongest times of my prayer life was actually a few years ago when I didn't work for the church. I lived in far Northeast Calgary. I worked downtown and I would take transit for an hour from Redstone downtown and an hour back every single day. And, but I was able to use that time. They would otherwise be kind of useless and I'm stuck in a metal tube to actually be time spent with God. And even if you don't take transit, you might be able to do the same thing while you're driving, walking the dog, or even standing in line somewhere. Yeah. And the other thing that a lot of people struggle with when it comes to prayer is even when I make the time, then what? What do I say? I mean, and in case that's your, your biggest hurdle, um, I think some convo starters between you and God would help. So I want to suggest that you download this app. It's the Pray First app. And it has, it's a great app. Um, it, you can keep a prayer list. So that's another thing. You might even ask some friends or people around you, hey, how can I be praying for you? Add it on your prayer list. They also have some prayer outlines that you can follow, like the Lord's Prayer, the Tabernacle Prayer, and if you're not sure what those is, what those are, they explain it to you. And it really makes it very simple to know where to start when it comes to prayer. And then thirdly, Jesus calendar included the Bible. Jesus knew the Bible. He quoted the Bible. He taught the Bible. He also corrected other people's interpretation of the Bible, which I think is my favorite part. And he used the Bible in the same way that we, that we ought to use the Bible. So in Matthew four, I'll give you this example. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yeah. And then again, Satan tried to tempt and corrupt Jesus two more times. And both times Jesus rebuttal, his answer back was the same. It was scripture. Yeah. And did you know that of the armor of God described in Ephesians six, you know, the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness, the only offensive component is the word of God right. is the scriptures. Yeah. And a sword can be used defensively, but it's also an offensive weapon. And that's exactly how Jesus uses it in this passage. It was Jesus weapon against the enemy and it should be ours too. So when it feels like life is an assault and the enemy is hurling accusations at you, you need the Bible in your mind and on your tongue to be able to fight back. Now, like prayer, this is definitely something that you either need to make the time for or find the time for. But either way, time spent in the word is how you're going to grow your relationship with God, get to know him even better than you already do, and increase your faith. And again, some practical steps. If, if you, the Bible is brand new to you and you're not sure where to start, might I suggest you go back to last January. We did a series called How Not to Read the Bible. And it's really great. Dan did some great messages in that series. So I highly encourage you to go back and watch those. And you can also go to our website, connectcowry.ca slash Bible to download a free Bible app with numerous translations. Uh, they even have the audio versions you can listen to. You can join a reading plan with us as a church as we follow along uh, future message series. And there's, uh, we've got some Bible intro videos there that'll teach you how to read the Bible and give some extra context and meaning behind each of the books. And then number four on Jesus calendar, Jesus calendar included Sabbath. And in case that word is new to you, Sabbath means to cease, desist, or rest. 
It was first modeled to us by God in Genesis, where God created for six days and then he rested for one. And then again, in, in the 10 commandments, actually number four on the list, not that they're necessarily ranked in importance, but number four on the list and the longest of them all is about the Sabbath. And it, it's where God instructs us to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, meaning for six days we work and for one day we rest. Jesus taught and he kept all the commandments and he calls us to do the same, but not just for his sake, for our sake too. See, even Jesus knew the importance of rest multiple times throughout scripture. We read of him withdrawing from the crowds or even his disciples to rest. And this is personally one of my favorite examples from Mark four, where Jesus has just finished preaching to the crowds. And it says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind. Although some boats followed, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion and the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? I don't know. I don't know about you guys. Jesus wasn't married and he didn't have any kids here on earth, but he sure did sleep like a dad. (laughs) I want us to focus on the first part of this scripture where it says, leaving the crowds behind. It wasn't that Jesus had met with and healed every person that was there. He didn't get to the bottom of his to-do list, so to speak, and then decide, oh, this is a good time to take a break. Jesus knew that his influence would only go as far as his body would take him. And he knew that we can't work our way toward peace. Instead, we have to choose it for ourselves. And I know you're probably sitting there thinking, Kyle, if you knew the, the things that I was up to, the things I had on my to-do list, you'd know I can't afford to take a day off like that. Well, I would argue you actually can't afford not to take a day off like that. Hard segue, but my favorite fast food place is Chick-fil-A. I make a point every time I go to the States, I go to Chick-fil-A. It's my favorite restaurant, and they're known for a few things. They're known for their food. They're known for their customer service. And maybe most of all, they're known for being closed on Sundays. Now, you might think that taking a day off like this, which is completely unheard of in the industry of retail or fast food, and you might think that that would really hurt their business. I mean, their competitors are open 24-7. They have a menu twice as long. They're really trying everything. But it actually turns out Chick-fil-A makes more money per restaurant per year than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway combined. The Sabbath is not a day taken from you. It's a day given to you. But again, we want to keep this super practical. So I'll ask, do you have a Sabbath and are you keeping it holy? And keeping it holy doesn't just mean that you, you know, you start at 8 a.m. and you're praying and you keep praying all day and then you, you're reading the Bible too. And then, you know, you fall asleep in your Bible at 10 o'clock at night. That's not what it means to keep it holy. What it means is to be different or set apart. So if you don't already have a Sabbath, I encourage you to add one to your calendar. Even try it. Just try it for a couple months. See if it helps. And I believe that it will. And if you do already have a Sabbath day, is it set apart? I mean, do your kids know the difference between your Sabbath day and a normal day? And are you simply doing things to pass the time or are you doing things that will actually refill your tank? Number five on Jesus' calendar, it included relationships. Jesus was not a one-man band. 
Yeah, he had crowds of people that followed him to hear his teaching and to be healed, but he specifically chose 12 to be his disciples. And even three of them were even closer than the other nine. They were his students, but they were also his friends and his partners in ministry. Yes, they worked together, but they also feasted and celebrated together and went to weddings. And then in John 15, Jesus says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything that the father told me. So Jesus had friends and he had relationships. He didn't do life alone and neither should we. In fact, we probably need it even more than he did. But here's the thing. Relationships, they don't just happen by accident. If you want to have real meaningful relationships, it takes an investment and it takes time. And if there are people in your life that you're responsible to and for, like maybe a spouse or children, then yes, you have a duty to invest in those relationships. But I think we also owe it to ourselves to invest in meaningful friendships too, to have people that you can talk to and pray with and do life alongside. Luckily, we here at Connect, we're here to help. This is the whole reason we have Connect groups for you to find deeper faith and deeper friendships. And the second piece of good news is that our next semester of groups starts in only three weeks. So again, calendar, mark it down, August 27. We're going to have group link right here in the lobby and we'll have all the groups here, the group leaders. You'll be able to see the groups, ask any questions you might have, and you can sign up for a group on the spot. And I definitely encourage you to do that and sign up for a group and, you know, put yourself out there to make some more meaningful relationships. However, and here's the thing that a lot of people don't know, signing up for a group is actually a two-step process. Because if you go out in the lobby and you put your name down on a clipboard, but you don't also pull out your phone at the same time and add it in your calendar, is it something you're actually doing or just something you want to be doing? And last, but definitely not least, number six, Jesus' calendar included service. He traveled all over the nation of Israel, serving others in the best way that he knew how. Healing people of their worst afflictions, fixing hands, restoring sight to the blind, casting out demons, and even raising them from the dead. And then he did the one thing that only he could do. He was hung on a cross, died, and three days later resurrected. And he did so in service to all mankind and for you and for I. He took the punishment for our sins so we could be redeemed through faith in him. And then in Matthew 20, 26, uh, Jesus is talking here and he says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. To follow Jesus is a life of service, to do as he did, to love as he loved, to feed his sheep, and to make disciples of all nations. And similar to worship, there are many ways that you could serve those around you and serve the kingdom of God. But I will say the easiest one and the most available to you is to serve here through Connect on the Dream Team. As more and more people come and as our church grows, so does the need for people just like you to take up your position in the body of Christ, to use your gifts and talents that he's given you in service of others and for the sake of the kingdom. 
And I want to say a thank you to everyone who's already here and you're already serving and helping us spread the message of life overflowing through Jesus. But if you're not already on the team and you want to learn more about how you too can make a difference, once again, put it on your calendar, August 20th, two weeks from now, you can join us for Backstage and we'll show you the many ways you can serve just as Jesus did. So I've tried to keep everything this morning really practical and applicable, but I want to close with three things or three questions that will help you establish a plan to actually move forward with. And the first is, what's one thing I need to remove? I can't tell you what it might be. You know, this is one of those questions you have to answer for yourself, but I imagine there's already at least one thing that you could identify and say, that's no longer really serving me, or I should really be using this time somewhere else. And it could be any number of things. It could be cutting back social media or TV or video games. It might even just be turning off your phone and your emails for the weekend so you can truly rest and take a Sabbath. And I don't know what it is, but I think we all have at least one thing that we could stop and say yes to something else. And then what's one thing that you could add? Maybe it's prayer or worship, being more intentional with making making plans with your friends or regular date nights with your significant other. And maybe you're not sure because you heard the message today and you're like, yep, I could probably add all six of those things to my, to my schedule or to my calendar. Let me encourage you start small and start with one. And I'll reframe this question another way. What one thing, if it got better would make the biggest difference? What one thing, if it got better would make the biggest difference. And I would guess that for most people, that answer is probably going to be daily time with God in prayer and in the word but it also might not be. I mean, maybe your prayer life is actually pretty strong, but you know you're, ne- you're uh, neglecting spending enough time with your family. You don't have to overhaul your entire life this week, okay? Let's take that pressure off. But start with one thing and improve on that first. And then the third thing, each one of us, or sorry, the third thing, make a weekly schedule with what I, I like to call time buckets. Each one of us has 168 hours in our week that we decide how to spend. And just like a budget that you might create for your money, I think we ought to have a budget for our time. So sit down with your calendar and create various buckets for each of your top priorities. And make the bucket, but you don't have to decide exactly how to spend the time within that bucket. But every one of your top priorities, the things that are most important to you, they need a bucket so they don't get left behind. So you might have a one hour bucket in the morning for breakfast and Bible reading, and then eight hours for work and two hours when you get back home for time with your family, or you just might have to block off all of Saturday as your Sabbath. And if you do that, also let me encourage you something I've found very helpful or practical, or that I think would help you make a more meaningful Sabbath is you should make a list of things that you won't do and things that you could do. And do it in advance, because if you wait till the day of, it's real easy to get caught up with laundry or this or that. I get it. And this is these buckets. These are also something I found helpful even in my work life. Like have a, uh, you know, sometimes I'll have a bucket in the morning for more project-based work and a bucket in the afternoon where I just focus on administrative tasks or phone calls, things like that. And the way it's helped me is that that way, both things are getting at least a portion of my time instead of my default being, you know, a a tendency to put all of my time and attention into this one thing and neglecting the other. And I think it's the same thing in our personal lives as well. Then, and this is absolutely the trickiest part, 
You got to keep everything in its own bucket. Don't let them spill over into the other buckets. And I know it's not easy at first. It will take practice, but it's the best method that I've seen or used myself uh, that will help you get some semblance of balance between the number of priorities that I'm sure are competing for your time. You need a place for everything and everything in its, in its place. And the very last thing I want to say this morning is I think I would be doing a great disservice if I got up here to talk to you about modeling the example of Jesus and the routines and habits that he had in his own life without also giving you the opportunity to get to know and have a relationship with him first. After all, when it came to Jesus' life and ministry and putting first things first, his first priority, the why behind the what, was always to win the hearts of the lost and invite them into his kingdom. So that's the opportunity I want to give you today. And then I'll pray for us all in closing. But if you want to start a relationship with Jesus today, I'll invite you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need forgiveness and a fresh start. Thank you for giving us both. I believe you lived, you died, and were resurrected for me, for my sin, and most importantly, for my salvation. I put my faith and trust in you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. And God, I pray for everyone in this room that you would help us to take the things that were a priority for you and make them a priority for us. You would help, your spirit would speak to us and help us to identify the things that we ought to stop that aren't serving us and use that time more effectively to the things that uh, will make our time more meaningful or that is more meaningful to you and the things that you want us to focus on. And God, I pray that you would just bless everyone here and help us to put first things first. Amen.